Well, we arrive at the great feast of Pentecost, and it is indeed a great feast. It's the last day we will have this candle lit at all masses. Uh, it'll only be lit now at baptisms, at confirmation, and at funerals. And it will be moved back over near the baptismal font. Also, um, uh, it's the last day of the Easter season. It officially closes today with the last mass. But it's also a great feast because it says something about who we are and who we are to keep becoming in our lives. Um, there's a whole bunch of readings for this weekend. Uh, there's a vigil set of readings and four options for the first reading. And then there's a vigil uh, evening prayer that churches can say, I've never done it, but they could go until midnight where you're reading all these readings and prayers and celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. And then there's a separate set of readings for Pentecost Day. But I think that one of the best ways to get at this feast is to look at the first reading from last night and the first reading today. The first reading from last night is taken from Genesis, and it's a story, not literal, um, as is often the case. It is a, a non-literal story about what happened to people and why we speak different languages. And this was just a, a biblical reflection on this. And what happened was all these people were coming, I think, to Lystra, and um, they congregated there from all over the world, but they all spoke the same language, it said, and exactly the same words. So there was a total unity in their expression, in their speaking, in their understanding, and their listening to one another. So they got real proud. They started making these mortar bricks, and they started building buildings and said, hey, why don't we build a tower up into the heavens? And it was seen as an act of arrogance, an act of great proud that they were, pride that they were going to take themselves up into heaven, be there uh, equal to or with God. And so God gets ticked off in the story, not literal. He doesn't kill them. He doesn't send serpents like in other places. But instead, he says, if they're talking like this now, what are they going to be like in a few years? Oh, my God, nobody will be able to handle them. So he smashes the tower. The tower falls down. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody dies. But when they stand up, they're all speaking different languages. And nobody understands anybody else. It's a perfect description for sin. When sin enters in our life, and among us and between us, we stop listening. We start yelling at each other. Peace goes out the window. We hold on to angers and resentment. And, and, and sin is just this powerful power that destroys communal life and even destroys our own individual lives. So that's what's described in the first reading last night. That's what happened. Sin happened, and, and when it came to the end of it, nobody could understand each other. So then today, the first reading is taken from the Acts of the Apostles, and it's Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. And the Spirit comes upon this early church community. They're in the upper room. And um, all of a sudden, things happen. First of all, the comment is that there were people from all these different nations. I think uh, read about 10 or 11 of them, all these weird names. They all spoke different languages. But this is what they noted. When the Spirit came upon this church community, and all these people from all these nations that spoke different languages and didn't understand the Galatians, the Galatians spoke in their language, but they all understood in their own language. 
And this was seen as the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit brings unity out of disunity. The Spirit can, can smooth over the things that take away peace and bring peace back. And so that's what happened to the community. The second reading speaks about all these gifts of the Spirit, saying we're one body, but for everybody that's here, there's different gifts, every single one. I see the Del Ponte's over there, seven kids, and I guarantee you all seven had different gifts. And all seven probably bugged each other in different ways. <laughs> but it's true. You know, we have different gifts, but we're all part of the one body. And when the Spirit comes upon us, we recognize that. And we begin to share the gifts and use the gifts and appreciate someone else's gifts are not my gifts. And that's okay. So today, we then go back with the gospel to Easter night. And realize when we come to Sunday liturgies, we are often chronologically bouncing all over the place. We, we repeat things. We, we might we hear the reading of the, the angel Gabriel um, in the middle of March, because that's when we celebrate um, Mary, and we celebrate uh, the conception of Jesus, and so we tell the story again, and chronologically we're going back. So where are we in the gospel story? It's Easter night, and Jesus appears in the room, the upper room, the first time for these disciples, and they're overjoyed with the presence of Jesus. And then he says to them twice, peace be with you which, by the way, I think is a sure sign of God's presence when we experience peace, the shalom. And so he says it again, peace be with you. And it says he breathed on them, the ruah. In uh, the opening chapters of Genesis, the ruah was the gift of the spirit, the gift of life, the breath of life, God's breath. And so he, all over them, pouring his spirit into them, and he gives to them at that moment the grace of forgiveness and the power to forgive. So in this early church, one of the first gifts was to be able to forgive, to share forgiveness. Personally, I think um, Jesus, who preached it all the time, there were three things that he, he, he preached about, a lot of stuff, but the three things I think that he spoke most about were the kingdom of God, forgiveness, and love. And when he ends up on the cross, what does he show about this kingdom of God fully alive in him? He shows his divinity. As he's hanging there, uh, he expresses forgiveness and peace. Now, let's just say, and this is completely you know, imaginative and not real, but let's say you were 20 years old, you walked into St. Bernard's Church, and you had never seen a crucifix. I think that would be impossible in these days to not see a cross or crucifix. But let's say that happened. And you walk in this building that people said was a church where these Christian Catholics gathered, and you look up and you see that cross and you say, what the heck is that? Who is that poor dude up there? Oh, my God, look, there's blood everywhere. He's half naked. What are those nails in his hands, nails in his What did they do to him? And for the first time, they hear the story, the first time. Well, the scriptures would suggest to us we could only really get that story understand it if we had the gift of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit of knowledge, the gift that is God in His Spirit, informing and teaching and guiding and leading and opening us and healing us and strengthening us. And so, in that great context, we celebrate Pentecost. 
And I think the church wants two things at least for us. One is to look back at the Feast of Pentecost that we celebrate over 2,000 years ago at the beginning of life in the church. And, and remember where the apostles were. They were scared to death of the Jews. They said, if this happened to him and we're his primary followers, hello, what's next for us? So they were scared. They were locking themselves in the room and Jesus appeared to them and they had remade this contact through the risen Christ. But 50 days later, according to the Acts of the Apostles, Pentecost, and Jesus left them again and said, as we said last weekend, I got to go, but I have to go so I can send my spirit. And I would wrap it in other words. If the spirit came right now, you might not recognize, but if I go and you feel empty and needy and, and want something, and the spirit comes to you, you will appreciate it. So that's what happened. The spirit came and all of this stuff happened to them. And for the first time, they really understood each other. People talked and other people listened. That's the experience of grace, when we respect and honor each other enough to actually listen to each other and not go right to judgment and condemnation. That's a sign of the presence of God, I think. In fact, you know, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Dorothy Day, Mother Teresa, they all said, you got to speak up, but nonviolently. That was the gift they gave us. That's the gift of Jesus. He doesn't say, shut up, don't speak. Jesus spoke on the cross. And can you imagine if you were out in front of that cross on the day of Jesus' death, and you were one of the ones shouting, crucify him, kill him, kill him, crucify him now. And then you heard him speak these words, Father, forgive them all. They know not what they do. What would that do to you? To realize that you just cried out for his crucifixion and death, and he spoke words to you of forgiveness. That's a divine moment. That's a God-present moment. And I think that on this Feast of Pentecost, we pause to reflect on this, not just to go backward in time to the first Pentecost, but to realize this Pentecost not only changed the apostles, but all of us and forever. We are a Pentecost people. Even before baptism, nobody can convince me that a baby without baptism isn't loved by God and doesn't have the Spirit of God in them. But when we baptize and know what we're doing and want it, intend it, it changes everything. When we say, I want the Spirit of God alive in me, and we intentionally choose it. And I realize a baby doesn't do that, but with the guidance of parents and godparents as they go on through their life, they learn that on that day we celebrate as church the gift of the Spirit given in baptism. But that's what is supposed to happen after that is that we ask for that Spirit daily, daily. We don't look at it as something just happened 2,000 years ago or just on the day of baptism and maybe confirmation but that we realize that every single day we should be opening ourselves to the presence of God in our life through the gift of the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of the faithful. Fill me. And enkindle in me and everyone the, the fire, the power of your love. Because if we're not asking for the Spirit, it's not that the Spirit isn't giving himself, but how are we even aware that it's available to us if we don't ask? 
So we come every day, I think, to God and say, Lord, send me your spirit. Give me your love. Give me your life. Fill me. I think, I think we don't do that often enough. I really do. I think that asking for the Spirit, and certainly at special times, it's all nice and good like right now this moment. What a perfect time. And if I said, let's all sing, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful, we would do it. We'd feel something. But I'll tell you when we really need to do it. When we're angry, when we're hurt and resentful, when we can't or won't forgive, when we're troubled deep in our spirit, when we feel that we've been forgotten, that we even think, God, where are you? Why, am I, why have I just been told I've got cancer? Why, God? I've done everything right. Why did I lose my job? Why has my husband or wife left me? I've done everything right. What's going on? Where are you, God? Those are the moments we need the Spirit of God. Those are the moments we are told as a people of Pentecost and if we say we really believe it, this happened to the apostles. This happened on the day of my baptism. This was confirmed in the sacrament of confirmation. And not only that, but I am an everyday Pentecost person. Not a day goes by that I don't ask God to be with me and in me. Not a day goes by that I don't ask for the gift of the Spirit. And when that begins to happen to us, everything, everything is different. And we actually live with the Pentecost on a daily basis.